In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I have a conversation with Jake Kim, a Catholic counselor, podcast host, and teacher of the healing path. Physically Spiritual came from my experience of how growing physically healthier changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Today, I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast, Jake Kim. Jake has a bachelor's degree in theology and a master's in counseling psychology. Jake has worked in ministry for over 20 years and has been counseling in his own practice for over 10. He's the co-host of two great podcasts, which I recommend. The first, the Restore the Glory podcast with Dr. Bob Schutz, who you've heard a lot about in season three of this podcast, and also the Way of the Heart podcast with Brett Powell. This podcast focuses on the journey through life with a heart that's fully alive. He and his wife, Heather, from the Abiding Together podcast, are co-founders of Life Restoration Ministry, uh, and they have an upcoming men's retreat in British Columbia, if you want to check that out. So welcome to Physically Spiritual, Jake. Thanks so much, Andrew. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, So I like to start with every guest just simply asking you a little bit about your story. What kind of brought you into this ministry? Um, Hmm. You know, sometimes I think with people's careers, it's just an interest in whatever or whatever they wanted to study in college. But um, to really be involved in uh, the healing journey, um, Hmm. I think it grows out of people's lives. So I was Hmm. wondering if you would share with the audience a little bit about uh, your own story and how this brought you into this work. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, The... it could probably take the whole podcast. So I'll give you the shortened version of, of my story. Um, I grew up, uh, in a family that a lot of people would look at and go, wow, that's, that's a great, the Kim family's great. I have two older brothers. We would often serve at mass together and we were like the, the go-to guys when you needed uh, the guys to get it right on mass and altar serving. And all in all, we're a great family. There, was a, there were things and dynamics that were going on at home behind the scenes, I think, like in every family that, that impacted me. So my, my love and kind of interest in healing, I think, started when I was probably really young, more out of a, a need maybe for emotional survival than anything. Uh, that led into some traumatic events that I endured and suffered as a kid that eventually led into what I would have called now a sexual addiction. And so having that in my story and upbringing and then bringing that through college and into marriage um, was a massive part of my story. And a big reason about why I'm a therapist now is because I absolutely loved being the client. And when I started to address my own struggles and my own wounds and sufferings and uh, when I was working at a parish, I realized that man, there's a lot of people who they appreciate the faith, they appreciate understanding the faith, but they've got real personal things that are going on that they do not know how to navigate and it's impeding or inhibiting their journey with the Lord. And that was my simultaneous story while I was trying to accompany these people. And I thought, you know what, I, I think I want to go do this counseling thing. And so I uh, went to grad school and got the degree and started a private practice. and. Honestly, counseling has been it's been up and down because one of the things that I really wholeheartedly believe is I can't take a client somewhere where I haven't gone or I'm not willing to go myself. Now, it doesn't mean I have to understand every pain and suffering in the whole universe, but 
you know, I think the depth that therapy really can go is the depth that I, as a therapist, am comfortable with. And so I think that's something my clients have appreciated over the years is um, I'm pretty comfortable to go to pretty deep places. And I get it. I get the pain and the shame and all that dynamic that goes on with it. So um, a lot of people would look at me and go, oh, you're the I've actually had somebody say to me before, oh, you're the porn guy. And I'm like, well, that's I'm not sure that's what I wish I would be known as. But anyway. Uh, but at least it was in a positive context because it was a recovery from that uh, struggle. But I'd have to say that that whole dynamic in my life and story was a massive symptom of a lot of things that were going on under the surface. Um, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of shame, a desire to be loved, a desire to be affirmed, and taking all those things to kind of all the wrong places. And working through the addiction was a major part uh, of me being who I am today, but the journey's really been ongoing. I'd say mm. I was just sharing with my men's group before I got on the call with you. Um, I'm really committed to becoming who I'm called to be. I don't think I've arrived and I think I've got a long way to go. I'm not sure if I'll ever arrive, but the process of becoming is really important for me. And I love the process. I love training and things that make you fully alive so yeah I, as you tell your story one i relate to a ton of your story and i'll put a link in the show notes because i think you really tell it in depth on one of the episodes of of restore the glory so i'll i'll, yeah. I'll put that in there for the audience if they want to hear the whole thing um thanks but I, I love the shift that you talked about of um really understanding sin as a symptom you know it's that uh kind of perennial tree analogy uh, that's often used in, in healing circles. Um, mm-hmm. But I think so many people in the church struggle with that shift. Um, mm. there, I think there's an, often a misconception of, um, I've sinned, so I'm bad. And the way I'm going to yes. get better is by making myself feel bad about it. <laughs> and then I sort of accumulate this pressure that forces my will to stop sinning. Um, yeah. I think this is problematic for a few ways. One, the goal is just to stop sinning when like yes. the problem with sin is it's a block in our relationship with God. So like, the goal is always relationship yeah. with the Lord. But, yes. but two, um, I think you could, you could stop a behavior but not heal. Um, mm. So like in addiction circles, this is the whole idea of like transferring the addiction. Well, I think the same yep. thing can happen, um, can happen in our spiritual lives in that um, I think repression can masquerade as virtue. And, mm. and, and we can, um, and I know I've seen this in the church quite a bit. Uh, you know, Jesus says, by their fruits, you will know them. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Not by their confession, you will know them. Uh, yes, yes. So, so yeah, just uh, that, that shift of going from seeing the sin as the problem to seeing the sin as the symptom of the problem mm-hmm. and how key that is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, my wife has a really cool way of putting it. Um, She said a lot of people get stuck at carrying the cross Hmm. and they don't move through that to resurrection. And so I think a lot of people find an identity and, you know, look at my cross and I'm carrying my cross. And if I have the biggest cross, but I can carry it somehow that qualifies me as a good Christian or Jesus is proud of me somehow. Um, and interestingly, like that, that's heretical. Uh, my spiritual director was actually saying to me the other day that that's actually a very Kantian view of the world. Now, he's a lot smarter than me. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, 
a lot of us believe that the harder it is, the better it is. And that's not necessarily true. And I went, my goodness, that is a, that's been a major part of my story. If it's hard, then it must be good. And so finding this false validation and, oh, I've done something hard, therefore I'm a better person. Well, I mean, what's interesting is a lot of people would say that, you know, fear is the biggest motivator. I, I would contend to believe on a, on a very primal, natural level, maybe, yeah. But I would say when you take the whole of humanity, love is actually the greatest motivator. And that's the shift. There's a shift from fear, fear of hell, fear of repercussion, fear, fear of God being mad at me, etc. To, I actually want to be in a healthy relationship with you. Like fear is still self-centered. Love is other-centered. And so that shift is, I think, a critical one. So I, I appreciate you highlighting that because I think it's very true. Yeah, I love that idea of love being the biggest motivator. And and that's actually like corroborated by neuroscience. So I, I've been mm. reading a lot of literature out of the life model and uh, they yeah. talk a lot about how the, the strongest, um, the strongest motivator in the human brain is attachment. Love is that relational yeah. kind of deep emotional love that we have for other people. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. I, um, so through season three of the podcast, I talked to you a little yeah. bit about this before, but it's really about mm. been focusing on emotional healing and spiritual progress. Um, mm -hmm. And we've been looking at neurology, trauma, looking at some Catholic thinkers like Conrad Bars and Dr. Bob Schutz, and also some mm -hmm. stuff out of the Protestant world like the life model, Jim Wilder and Dr. Dan Allender. Yeah. And yeah. I've been sort of trying to weave these themes together um, mm -hmm. to create a more kind of holistic picture. And this mm -hmm. grew out of my experience um, well, one, I, I can really relate to your story because um, a lot of the struggles from my woundedness um, came out in sexual compulsivity uh, mm -hmm. in various ways. And I mm -hmm. was blessed um, to early in my conversion feel called to the seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, and as part of that journey, um, you know, in, in seminary, looking back, you know, a big part of it is the pillar of human formation. The idea of yes. you as a person becoming a, a bridge to Christ as opposed to a barrier to Christ. Yeah. But looking back, I have to be honest that a lot of what we received, it was titled human formation, was actually <laughs> intellectual formation about human formation oh. topics. Right? So we'd sit so down true. in the lecture hall <laughs> and learn yeah. about something about human formation. But that's not, yes. that's not really how it works, right? Uh, we're, we're formed in relationship. That's so good. And we're wounded in relationship and then we're healed in relationship. Um, yes. So a lot of this podcast has kind of grown out of um, that experience and other experiences I've had where we, mm -hmm. we misunderstand what human formation really is and the role it has mm -hmm. in the church. Mm -hmm. um, mm. You're talking my language, man. I'm like, <laughs> like, hold us back. I could put on the recorder for three hours because I've worked in seminary and formation for 10 years. And so I've been firsthand experience. Uh, one, one of my friends called it, they call it the four pillars of seminary and formation, human, spiritual, intellectual, and pastoral. And uh, one guy said, it's actually one pillar and four or three toothpicks intellectual is the pillar and then there's these three other toothpicks that they hold they hope holds up the rest and i'm like that's so accurate because yeah I, I really appreciate how you said it it's intellectual formation masquerading as human formation that doesn't work and you see it when when guys get ordained and the and the difficulties of pastoral life come out or the struggles of living alone and all that so 
there there's a lot there that I, I just love what you're bringing out so it's good yeah and and i think that beneath that is another form of that kantianism or even an older heresy of plagianism mm-hmm. um or gnosticism um and Kant's kind of a mixture of the two uh plagianism sure. and gnosticism and and the idea is that well on the one hand you just try harder that's plagianism and on the other hand it's just you learn more which is gnosticism yeah. Right, you learn the wow. secret, and that's the secret of salvation. Um, yeah, wow. that's so. It's it's there. There's um, m- maybe we're going off track here, but this is what's on my heart, so I'll share it. Uh, Go for it. We, I think a lot of people just something that I'm actually working on right now in my own professional life um, is I'm finding that formation is so important for people. There, there's evangelization and formation that I think are critically intertwined. Um, my wife is a great evangelist and I would say I'm kind of more of a formator and um, if you look at all the effort that the church has put into seminary and formation it's a lot the church has put a lot of thought and effort and attention into specifically how do you form these usually young adult men into being healthy men who can lead well and as I've been in that world I've realized that there's a lot that the church has thought about on the behalf of a seminarian that applies to everybody so like those four pillars of human, spiritual, pastoral, and intellectual, all of us need those. And so I zoomed in and really started thinking about, uh, you know, what are the, what are, what's human formation all about? And what's the process of human formation? And how does one do it? And there's a lot that the church, again, has thought about in seminarian life and formation of seminarians that applies elsewhere. And mm-hmm. there is so much gold that's in that world that I, I'm just excited. I feel like a guy who ran into the building and I'm running out with holding things that I shouldn't be running out of the building with and they're falling by. I'm like, I found some secrets and you know, hopefully they don't catch me. But um, no, no one's actually doing that. But it's just like, like for example, um, there are four primary ways that people are formed humanly. There's kind of a progression. It's kind of similar to the three uh, progressions of the spiritual life. So the four primary human formations are one self-awareness, and that's absolutely critical to grow in formation and, and, and help. The, the second would be uh, self-acceptance. You could take the word self out in front of it. It just means me or the person. So first is awareness. Second is acceptance. That's like, Therese of Lisieux is kind of the master there where she's she's realizing that without God, I'm nothing. And I have to accept the reality of where I'm where I'm at as a center. It's kind of also the AA kind of approach or the the um, anonymous recovery groups approach like I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Jake. I'm an alcoholic, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a similar tone there. And then the third one is self-possession. This is to me something that's massively missing in the culture right now. It's my capacity through formation, through experience, through being loved and loving and figuring it out and learning and being fathered, mothered, all that, where I know what I'm all about and I know what matters to me and what doesn't matter to me. I have a position in life. I know what my values are. It's kind of like I can stand before the world and go, this is what I'm about and this is how I'm supposed to manifest God to, to the entire world. This is my u- unique manifestation. And then the last one is gift. And so when we're called to love people, like love well, we assume that it's just like, a, oh, I just where's the book on love and I'll go out and do that. And then people go, why is it hard? Why is it difficult? How, why, what's the struggle? There's a lot that goes into the formation of a person before we love. Like if you look at Jesus's life, he spent 30 years in human formation in comparison to his three, you could say, in public ministry. 
that is a long time of formation. If you look at the ratio, it's 10 to 1. There's a 10 to 1 ratio of behind the scenes formation to the one of self-gift. And so I'm a big fan on people being formed and what it means to be a good human because then that's what leads them into being a saint. Like St. Jose Escriva has this phrase, first the man, then the saint. I absolutely love that insight because it's true. Grace builds on nature. So first the, the kind of the stuff that all of us struggle with and deal with, and then it's more the generic or sorry, the more specific. And um, anyway, you got me on a topic that I get excited no, about. That's but, great. No, yeah. I, I love that idea of applying the pillars of formation um, in the lay context too. I, I was actually yeah. just recently talking to um, some people from soul core, the Catholic yeah. fitness kind of organization. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, my kind of full-time role is in planning and evangelization at our diocese. Yes. And um, they were sharing some materials with me, and I was kind of contemplating, like, where do I put this on our diocese website? Like, right. where does Soul Corps fit into the categories that we have? And, and, and I was pondering, and I thought, well, it's adult faith formation, right? It's mm. for, like formation has to be all the pillars. Yes. Um, you know, just last week, I, that thought came to me. I'm still working on mm. it. Um, yeah. getting it out there, but, and hopefully they'll come on the podcast soon too. Um, awesome. but, um, that basic human formation. I, so I think, uh, there's a, a few things that are like running through my head with that. Cause one, yeah. that basic human formation happens in the family. Um, Amen. right. But, but no family's perfect. So, right. so everyone needs some level of remedial formation, uh, mm-hmm. and for lack of better terms, uh, yeah. And that's the beauty of God coming to us as father, right? And the church yes. coming to us as mother and baptism yes. being a new birth. Uh, but I think we often underappreciate, um, like I, I, we just recently had our first son. He's about oh. 11 months old. It's been awesome. Awesome. Uh, Congratulations. But like, I never thought of before, like how little a baby can do. <laughs> um, Isn't it? And, and I was in RCI ministry for the last 12 years. And, and I think of like, if those that were baptized, if that was their new birth into the church, like mm. how much should I have offered them <laughs> if that's true? Like, like what, mm. what do we as a church need to offer? Like if baptism is a new birth, then the early stages of our conversion is your spiritual infancy. Yes. And then what does that yes. mean that as a church, uh, we need to rally around these people and offer them? Yes. Um, and, and yeah, so that's really uh, kind of shifted my perspective on a yes. lot of um, a lot of thoughts around formation in the church. Yeah, there, there's a quote that Peter Kreef says, and he it, it, he says that our nature is a task for us to achieve, not a fact to simply be received. And so, what's mm-hmm. weird that when you describe your 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 was it son? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When you describe your son, like you're, you're like, whoa, you can't do a lot because his nature, his human nature, it's not that he's not human. It's that he's not fully human. And it's a task to be realized. Like he's got to develop into the fullness of his, his sonship, the fullness of his masculinity, the fullness of his self gift. And that is a long process that occurs. And what, what I found in, you know, my clinical work is there's a lot that what I end up doing with regard when people call it therapy, it's actually human formation. And a lot of people can go like, what's the difference? And how do you, you know, what, where does one go and where does another one go? And 
because I can wear both hats, um, I kind of, it's hard for me to distinguish them anymore. One of the, I think, nuances is when you're actually going to psychotherapy, like professional psychotherapy, you're usually going to see a professional who can help you work through something that you have no capacity, no awareness, no resources to draw on to get through. Like you need intervention of someone to work through it. But there's also times where you go and, you know, you could survive, right? Your life maybe wouldn't be that great, but you could survive. But you're looking to realize the fullness of what it means to be human. Like the question is, well, is that psychotherapy anymore? Well, what's interesting is that psychology is a big part of it. But is that the only thing that can offer this formation process to humans? I would say with the downfall of the church and, and kind of the the Christianity being replaced as the centerpiece of society, what ends up happening is psychologists, counselors, social workers, et cetera, this is my phrase, they're like the new pastors. Hmm. People yeah. go to them for help and they go, I, I don't understand myself. Can you help me understand myself? So for me, Christian psychotherapy is so important right now hmm. because it, it, there's a desperate need to understand what does it mean to be human? If I'm gonna form humans or I'm going to become a human or grow in my humanity, I first have to understand what the heck it means to be human. So the psychological world offers a ton, a ton of incredible insight and value. But if I don't have a really nice, clean, firm, solid undergirding of what it means to be human, what's called an anthropology, a Christian yeah. anthropology, it is really hard to get better, right? I I've seen people who've gone to other uh, therapists and they were worse because of it. But what the psychotherapist did was all the stuff they were taught to do. Whatever you want. Hey, I'm just here to support you finding the ple next pleasurable experience. They wouldn't say that. But um, another one that's really interesting is that you, you actually get trained at times in your in psychological to become a counselor, psychologist, to, to not have an opinion. And I think what's really interesting about that is that who would go to a doctor and for the doctor to go, I'm not sure. What do you think's going on? And they're like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, I'm here because I don't have a clue. I need you to understand me more than I understand me. But we're almost trained to not have an opinion. But that's like one of the worst things you can do to somebody who's in desperate need. So anyway, again, we're on topics I get passionate about. No, I, I love it. And I, th I think part of it, what the shift and people don't realize that that word psyche from the original language meant both yeah. mind and soul. It's yeah. so like there was in the founding of psychology, almost a, in, in the name itself, it kind of yes. presented itself in contrast to the church or in contest to yeah. the spiritual direction. Yes. Um, now, it's obviously not the case that psychology is anti-Christian or something like that. Some people take it too yep. far. Um, yep. But there was a piece of it's almost like it's it's replacing what, what psychology yes. is offering is replacing what religion used to offer. Yes. Um, and, and with that, um, there's also uh, a process of it becoming a profession that's licensed, right? Mm -hmm. so, so now the state defines that certain domains or diagnoses or, or, mm -hmm. or certain techniques are within mm -hmm. a licensed practice, and then you can get mm -hmm. in trouble if you purport mm -hmm. to provide those things and you don't have that license. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there's also a, a, a political 
dynamic and, and that and too. that's a good yeah and i support that political thing because if you have someone mm -hmm. who let's say is suffering from severe depression yeah. I, i'm not going to pick a more extreme like less statistically uh present in society like schizophrenia or something else but mm -hmm. severe depression is fairly common and if you don't understand have some measure of of capacity to navigate depression you can really make depression worse yeah. um and so i i respect the fact that the that the state if we separate church and state there if we that the state is trying to regulate they're trying to do something good and i support that the dilemma is that they can throw the baby out with the bathwater and go well there's yeah. nothing good that can come out of a christian approach and that's where i go hold the phone you're a lot of the ideology that you're standing on is christian and you're ready to yeah. just kick the chair out from underneath you like that's dangerous um, especially in the psychological world, because we claim to have an understanding of humans. Uh, that's pretty important to know the anthropology of the person helping you. Yeah, I think what's underneath that is another philosophy of existentialism. You know, that mm. we don't have a human nature, we don't have an essence, but we, we almost, our, our will creates our essence by what we choose. So our existence mm -hmm. precedes our essence. Um, mm -hmm. and all this is just the importance of good philosophy underneath it yeah. all. Um, yeah. But the counselor almost can't have an opinion That's, because to to impose on somebody else's will is to do violence to them in the counselor's framework. But mm -hmm. but if we look at like the idea of uh, like the formation of a child from the yes. parents, like part the way that formation works is the child receives attunement from the parents' nervous system, and then yes. an example of behavior and love. So so literally yes. the the child learns how to be human by the imposition of the parents in love. Mm -hmm. um, so, so this, uh, this nuance, I guess, um, of, of we, in, in some sense, we almost need to know the other person's opinion to really, I think, well said, receive the full image of Christ through Jesus's follower. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I think that like, uh, you know, when we talk about like professional counseling, I, you know, I get the question a lot, like, you know, how, what is professional counseling and, and that, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And, and I would say, if you look statistically across the, the massive research that's been done on what is effective in psychotherapy over and over and over again, and by, uh, you know, by and large, it's relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you have a good Christian anthropology, that is so boring news. It's not even, it shouldn't surprise us at all. Why? Because we're made by a relational God as a relational being. So of course, relationships at the center of it all. But I think a lot of times we get shocked. We're like, oh my gosh, right. That's fascinating. Right. I need to be loved. I need to have healthy relationship. And what, what uh, like neuroscience and some of the stuff that Jim Wilder and the Life Model folks and Alan Shore and some of those others that are doing zooming in on neurology is just confirming that our, our central nervous system is wired for love. And if that goes well, you really develop healthily and well. Um, and so I guess w maybe you touched on it a little bit ago, but w with regard to like people n who aren't necessarily licensed offering care, um, I think that that's completely appropriate that mm. if the world loved each other well, would there be need of psychotherapy? Like that's a, that's a pretty out there question, but mm. my response to that would be, Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. If if we knew how to love well, mm. um, 
But anyway, maybe yeah. that's something we could debate. Yeah. Well, because what that would imply is then in the child growing and maturing, one, they would have a healthy attachment from the parents. Yeah. Two, they would be preserved from traumas. Yeah. Three, they would be nurtured in maturity by the love of the community. And then four, they would have then how much less blocked to the supernatural grace that the sacraments are offering them through their life. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I completely agree with that. For me, I know, um, I guess I want to segue a bit into like, sure. then when, when do we seek counseling? Because for me, like in my seminary mm. time, I started going to counseling then, and it's been yep. a pretty consistent part of my life for the last, I guess, 17 years. Um, yeah, yeah. different counselors, different situations. And sure. um, I kind of have a, I feel like there should be a low bar of entry for counseling. <laughs> That's just kind of my personal opinion. Like, I agree. Like when I you totally need a counselor is kind of the worst time to find one. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Like it's good, it's yeah. good to have, even if you're not going to see them regularly, it's good to know who that person is. Yes. When you do need to see them. And that's often what I advise couples who are preparing for marriage. Look, the yeah. worst time to find a marriage counselor is when you're in, in crisis. Uh, so it's go so find true. a good one and work through some stuff that is, doesn't seem so severe uh, now. So true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess like from your perspective, like, mm-hmm. like what are those signs of like somebody, if they're on the fence, because there's a lot of stigma around culture in our society. Mm-hmm. A lot of people mm-hmm. think you only go if you're mentally ill. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of lost that distinction between emotional and, and mental illness or neurosis versus psychosis um, yeah. in the literature. So yeah, just your thoughts on when someone should really seriously consider counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to affirm you, Andrew, like you're, you've, you've done your homework. You're a well-educated guy. Like you're navigating some of these things that I, I've spent a lot of years sitting and wrestling with. So just mm-hmm. kudos to you for being engaged in the process. Cause I, I like as a, as a side note, I'll get to your question is the, that's formation. And you've been in a formation process, which I would contend has helped, you know, when you need mm-hmm. to be in counseling or not. Like, yeah. so to answer the question very simply, um, I think we have to under it's, it's not, everybody likes a simple answer, but usually things aren't as simple as we wish they would be. You can I can give you a simple answer, but if you understand the background behind it, you actually learn the skill instead of just having an answer. And then I don't know what to do now. Tell me the next answer. So I'll answer it with a skill development in mind. If we understand why counseling exists, which we've been touching on, then I think it will help understand what my need and intention is with going. So I would hold the position that if the world was full of saints, we would not need counseling. And the reason that would be the case is because there would be people who are, feel called to particularly love people in ways that help them heal from problems in their lives. But we don't assume that Jesus Christ has the corner on every market. And so in Christendom, it's like, well, yeah, Jesus is relevant if I'm going to church, but if I have to do accounting, Jesus doesn't, he's not really relevant. Or Jesus is relevant if I'm, you know, wanna go to heaven, but if I've got trauma, Jesus isn't really relevant. And I would say, possibly not directly relevant, but if Jesus is who he says he is, he is relevant to everything. And I would actually say in the domain of of counseling, 
he's incredibly relevant. He's obviously relevant. Accounting might be a little bit more tough to see like, how do, why would I go to Jesus to learn how to do my taxes? Like it doesn't, it's not as easy of a connection. But with regard to counseling, it's way easier because I have a problem in my life. I'm not doing well and I want to do better. Where do I go to get better? And so usually that's when a person turns to counseling is I, I'm not doing well and I want to do better. But what's interesting is that we usually turn to a counselor because we assume that they have a knowledge and a capacity to help me with whatever my emotional or psychological problem is. And hopefully that's the case. So my bar is very similar to yours. The entry requirement to go to counseling is very, very low. It's actually better to go to counseling when you don't feel like you need it because you work through things with much less resistance. Like I've seen many a person or a couple who are in very intense crisis. It is much harder to work through something. It takes longer because you're, you're kind of getting the emotional bleeding to stop. And, and then you actually try to start navigating things through. But if there's no like, you know, gaping traumatic wound that's going on, you can actually work through things with a bit greater ease and, and a bit, uh, it's not as complex. So when should you go to counseling if you don't feel like your life's going well, like anywhere? If you said a zero to 10 and 10 being like, I'm on death's door and I don't want to live anymore, start going to counseling at the ones and twos. And you're like, that's crazy. Why would I want to do that? Well, if you're not going to go to counseling, then go somewhere or engage in something that helps you reform your life. Like this is Jesus, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like the, the literal phrase there is metanoia. Metanoia in Greek means change your thoughts. He's basically talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. Like that's counseling right there, the basic invitation. Now some people go, oh Jake, stop overreacting. It's an invitation to salvation. Yeah, you're, I, I know. But the invitation that Jesus has to follow him is an invitation to a transformed life. So that's for everybody. And yeah. counselors are in that business of inviting people into a transformed life. And so my contention is it go as soon as you can. Now, if you aren't aware of a problem, like this is fun. I've had this happen sometimes. You know, hey, somebody told me I should come to counseling. So and they heard you were a good one. So I'm coming to talk to you. And like, oh, cool. So what do you want to talk about? I don't know. I don't really have any issues. <laughs> I, those are really fun because I, I just go, hey, with all due respect, that's great. But if you don't know then we can move on. Like, it's not my job to go stir things up. Or maybe do you want to tell me a bit about your story in your life? And then maybe we can see if there might be something there. I don't want to go causing problems. And oh, sure, I'll tell you a little bit. And they proceed to talk about, oh, my dad was an alcoholic. And, you know, he left the family at five. But you know, that wasn't a big deal. You know, my, my brother committed suicide. And, oh, you know, whatever. You know, you, you just cope, right? You get it. It's past this in the past. And I'm like, hmm. holy smokes, no wonder everybody's telling you to go to counseling. You know, like, you're, there's a hard-heartedness. So uh, I, I don't know if I've answered your question or not, but no, I, I would say go frequent and often. Yeah, I, I do. As a professional counselor, I go to counseling frequently and often. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, and I think the hope is, I think it, at least for me, is if I do the work, then maybe my children won't have to. <laughs> Isn't it? I know, that's no. so true. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're building the kingdom, but, but um, you know, kind of like the ancient notion of the seeds of the logos or the ancient church also had a notion of, um, of uh, like pillaging from Egypt. It's sort of like you take from the secular world and, and adapt mm -hmm. it for the church. And I think a, a, a Catholic 
or Christian going and counseling is really a way of using some of what's best out there in the world, um, but then bringing it in to build the kingdom. Uh, bringing Absolutely. it in to, to, to make Christ more manifest in the world. Thank you so much for joining me for the first part of my conversation with Jake Kim. Uh, if you want to support all the work we do here at Awaken Catholic or the show Physically Spiritual, head over to physicallyspiritual.com to become a member of the patron community. Join us in a couple weeks for the conclusion of the conversation. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.